This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. I'm thankful for this opportunity. I haven't done a lot of anything like this. Um, I know I'm billed as a veteran missionary. Um, first time I went to Cambodia on a survey trip, I was uh, having dinner with a few of the missionaries there, and I said something to one of them about being a veteran missionary. And he kind of looked at the other guy. He said, you know what you got to do to be a veteran missionary? So you just got to be there a long time. And uh, they started laughing hilariously at the time. I was like, these guys are really strange. But sometimes half the battle is just being there. So that's my claim to fame. We've been there for seven years now. And, um, and so I'm thankful for this opportunity to talk about something that's very important to me and uh, that we see a lot in the scripture. So um, we're going to get started today with a lesson on the Great Commission. Um, but, and so the Great Commission, of course, is found in the New Testament. Um, we'll be spending most of our time in the New Testament. But just as we get started, I just want to recap. We understand that the idea of missions doesn't start in the New Testament, per se. Um, when we look back in the Old Testament, we see that God has always been concerned in the salvation of mankind. Um, it would just look a little bit different in the Old Testament. And so God had called out the nation of Israel to be an example to the other nations. Um, he gave them his law. He gave them his prophets. He did signs and wonders. And the nation of Israel was to exemplify God's power and righteousness. And the idea is that the nations around that did not know the true God would see that and would be attracted to that. And we find that was the case um, during the time of the Exodus when the Israelites were in Egypt. God did all these wonders, and of course um, it affected a lot of the Egyptians very adversely, but when they left Egypt there was a mixed multitude. You find that phrase. The idea is these were not Israelites. Other people came out of Egypt with them. Why? They saw the power of God. They saw the righteousness of God. Uh, we see people like Rahab and the city of Jericho. Um, who saw the power of God and were attracted and ended up coming and joining the Israelites. And so I'm not going to go into depth, but there's other folks. Ruth um, was another Gentile who came and became part of the community of Israel. Um, during the time of David, when you read through these names, you find people that are Hittites and Gittites, people for, that was from other nations um, who had come and, for whatever reason, as they saw the holiness of God and the power of God exemplified through the law and through the wonders that God was doing, were attracted to this. And so we could say it was a, a come and see gospel. People were supposed to see Israel as a light and they were to, to come, uh, come to Israel to find out the truth about God. You know, unfortunately, that didn't really work out because the Israelites did not keep the law of God. They did not exemplify the holiness of God. They did not exemplify the power of God. And in the end, even for the Gentiles who were attracted to the truth, the Israelites um, began to become very prejudiced, um, what we could call ethnocentric. It's a big word, but we'll be visiting again. But uh, ethnocentrism is the, the belief in the inherent superiority of one's own ethnic group or culture. So they had this idea, we're better than everyone else, we're God's chosen people, which was true, but they got this feeling of superiority, and so the people that they were supposed to attract who were going to be joined 
and, and to, to become part of God's community um, were ostracized, were shunned. And that wasn't just an Old Testament problem. We see it in the New Testament as we come to the Jesus' disciples. They didn't like Gentiles. They didn't like Samaritans. They didn't like other people. And they were still seeing things very much in this way. Um, they were mostly focused on what did Jesus' mission mean for the nation of Israel. And we see that across the board, and during his first three years of earthly ministry, Jesus didn't really contradict this notion too much. He didn't work a lot with the, with the Gentiles. Um, he said, I'm sent to the, the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But after his resurrection, there's a new emphasis that we see. Not a new plan, a new emphasis. A change in the program. We find that in the last words of Jesus. And so, I call this lesson fa Famous Last Words. And so, I just had to do a little Google of famous last words. And there's some crazy stuff out there. Some profound things, some really mediocre things. But I wanted to, to point out a couple that have a bearing on, on this. And these are both from military history, so forgive me. Um, but this is um, the last words of a man by the name of Captain James Lawrence. Um, he was involved in a battle during the War of 1812 when his ship, the USS Chesapeake, fought the British ship HMS Shannon. And it was a crushing defeat. Uh, just a few minutes after they began the battle, Captain Lawrence was hit by a sharpshooter's bullet, mortally wounded, and as they were carrying him below decks, he is famously supposed to have said, don't give up the ship. Um, about five minutes later, they gave up the ship. The ship was overtaken. The entire crew was captured. It was a terrible defeat. He told his men what to do. They did not follow, follow through on that. Um, in contrast, here's another famous last words. This is from the the United States Civil War, the first battle of Bull Run, a man by the name of General B, his men were in retreat, a Confederate general, his men were in retreat, and as they were retreating, he's supposed to have looked up and he saw General Thomas Jackson's Virginia troops pulled up in line, and he's, he's supposed to have said, there stands Jackson like a stone wall, rally behind the Virginians. And moments afterwards, he was struck by a bullet, fell dead, but his men rallied behind the Virginians. They held like a stone wall. And Thomas Jackson went down in history as Stonewall Jackson. And the battle was won for the Confederates. He told them what to do. They did it. And it was a great victory. So now we come to Jesus' last words. Okay, What is often called the Great Commission. So I looked up commission. Um, it's just defined as an instruction, command, or duty given to a person or group of people. Um, so, we don't use this word a lot necessarily, but it was, the, it was the mission he was giving them to do. This is what he was telling his disciples he wanted them to do. And so, we can often take this for granted that we know what our mission is, what we're supposed to be doing, but the disciples didn't. Um, it's pretty clear they weren't exactly clear what they were meant to be doing. If we look at John uh, chapter 21, after the resurrection of Jesus, a famous story where Peter uh, takes a few of his disciple friends, and they go to the lake of Ga the Sea of Galilee. He says, I go fishing. Let's go fishing. I don't think there was anything wrong with that per se, but it makes it pretty clear that they were a little unclear about what they were supposed to be doing. Jesus is alive. That's great. They're happy about it. Now what? And so this is really key for that reason. Jesus has done his mission, his work of salvation, the question now is, what should his 
disciples be doing. And so this great commission that we call it, it's, it's, was given between the time that Jesus rose from the dead and the time that he ascended up to heaven, that period of 40 days. And we find it five times in the New Testament. One time in each of the Gospel records and one time in the book of Acts. And so tonight, what I'd like for us to do is examine these just so that we, like the disciples, can have a clear understanding of what we are supposed to be doing as disciples of Jesus Christ. And of course, the, the rest of the New Testament fills this out a lot, but we've got to start here with the command of Christ, the Great Commission. All right? And just in passing, the Bible is our only rule of faith and practice. Um, we'll be spending some time looking at some history, looking at some practical uh, considerations, but when it really comes down to it, the Bible is we're getting all the is where we're getting all this stuff, and uh, this is one of the reasons I'm glad to be a Baptist because we can say this: uh, nothing else has authority. So we want to look at what does the Bible say? What did Jesus say in the Bible that his disciples were meant to be doing? So I want to look at these references not in the order they're found in the Bible, but in the chronological order as near as we can understand it. And so based on that, we're going to look at John. Chapter 20 and verse 21 first. So I'm going to pull it up here. If you want to look it up, you can. John 20, 21. This is the first occurrence of the Great Commission. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. So for each one of these iterations of the Great Commission, we kind of have a, a theme here. And I'm calling this the permission for the mission. The permission for the mission. Alright, so this was given the very day that Jesus rose from the dead. He rose from the dead. That morning they went, they found the empty tomb. That evening, Jesus came and appeared to his disciples uh, in the upper room in order to begin preparing his disciples in a general way. So they, all the apostles were there with the exception of Thomas. This is the famous time that Thomas was not there. But um, Jesus came to all those who were in that upper room and, and gave them this commission. And the, the theme that I want us to take away from this is this. We are sent by divine authority. We are sent by divine authority. And as we look back at the life of Jesus Christ, we see that he was always referring back to his father and how his father had sent him and how he did the works of his father. Um, especially in John's Gospel, I'm going to, you, you don't need to turn to all of these for the sake of time, but I'm going to read a few verses. Uh, John 6, 28, Jesus said, I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. All right? The Father had sent him. John 8, 28 says, I do nothing of myself, but as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. Once again, he's doing what the Father gave him to do. Uh, John 15, 10. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. And so you have the same parallel. Jesus is saying, look, the Father sent me. I'm doing what the Father told me to do. Here he comes. On, on this day, after, as he's risen from the dead, he says, As the Father has sent me, even so send I you. And so just the way that God had 
authorized Jesus. God the Father had authorized Jesus to do this. Jesus is saying, look, I'm sending you forth. I have something I want you to do. I'm authorizing you to do this. He had exemplified that to them the submission to authority. And I want us to be clear about this too. Um, they were not sent on the same mission, but they were sent in the same way. And we'll look at this a little more later on down the road. But, but just to understand, he's not saying, what the Father sent me to do, that's what I'm sending you to do. He says, as the Father sent me, even so I'm sending you, in the same way, by divine authority. And it's helpful for us to remember that at least eight times, by my count, before the Great Commission, Jesus told people not to tell others about him. He would heal someone, and he'd say, don't tell anybody, tell no man. He's coming to his disciples now, and he's saying, look, I'm sending you now. You have permission. Permission for the mission. I'm sending you out. You are sent by divine authority. Alright, so that's John 20, 21. Let's move over to Matthew. Alright, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. It says, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. There is a lot in this verse, but we're just going to kind of take it from a bird's eye and say this is the program for the mission. John 20, 21 was permission. This is the program. He's... he's uh, kind of laying out a strategy, if you will, a roadmap. And Jesus gave this at a time when he met with his disciples on a mountain in Galilee. Uh, he told them to meet him. And um, we know that at least the apostles were there, possibly, possibly many other disciples. Some people think this is the instance mentioned in 1 Corinthians um, chapter 15 where Jesus was seen by over 500 of his disciples at one time. So potentially we're talking about a very large crowd of people as Jesus um, gives the Great Commission in this case. And the theme here is, as you are going, make disciples. As you are going, make disciples. And uh, I want to go back to, here we go. I want us to notice um, some of these words here. So he says, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. So we have some of our, our action words here. He says, go and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. So he says, go, teach, baptize, and teach. However, those are not the same words for teach. Okay, we have two different words um, in the passage here. So the second word you see there, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I command you, that's the word that we would use commonly to understand teaching, like the transfer of information. You know, you go to school to learn, the teacher teaches you something. Uh, but this second word, it comes from the word mathetuo, which is connected with the word mathetes, which means disciple. Okay, when the Bible when it talks about disciples, this is the word it's talking about. And so when he says, 
go and teach all nations. The word he's using there is the idea of causing people to become disciples. Go and make disciples of all nations. All right, so that's where we get our theme. As you're going, make disciples. And so you send them out, make disciples, baptizing, baptize them and instruct them further. And we'll take time later on to further look over this idea of, of how that plays out. But that's our theme for this one, Matthew uh, chapter 28. All right, so let's move on to Matthew chapter, I'm sorry, Mark 16. Mark 16, 15 through I'm sorry, I have 15 through 18 there, but we're just got 15 through 16 up on the slide. All right, he said unto them, Go ye into all the world, and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. This, um, Jesus appeared to his disciples um, while they were sitting at meat one day. It's a little unclear exactly when this happened. Um, but he appeared to them, and he gave them this theme, the gospel is our message. All right, the gospel is our message in uh, Mark chapter 16. All right, he says, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. All right, and so this, this word preach has the idea of proclaiming or heralding something. Uh, maybe if we think about the idea of like the town crier. You know, if you've ever been up to Williamsburg or something like that, they have somebody come out with like a bell or something to make an important announcement. That's how people got their, their news back then. They didn't get it from the newspaper or, you know, heaven forbid, Facebook or Twitter. Uh, you know, they got it from somebody who came and, and rang the bell and would tell them what was going on. And so this idea of proclaiming the gospel, telling people a specific message, and that message is the gospel, the good news. It's interesting, this is the only verse that actually mentions the gospel when we're looking at the, at the Great Commission. But it helps us understand what the message is. And that message, defined biblically, you can put this, this reference down um, because we're not going to read it all right now, but 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. If you want a biblical definition of the gospel, we have it for us there. And it's a specific message. As it's laid out there, just to summarize, it's that Jesus died, He was buried, He rose again on the third day, and His, His resurrection was witnessed by many people that are laid out for us there. And so that's the message. That's what we're telling people. That's what we're proclaiming is this specific message. And in this verse, it also lays out for us what the desired outcome is. Okay? Mark 16, 15, I think we all know that one. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. What about Mark 16, 16? He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. And so the idea is we're putting it out there so that people can make their decision to either receive or reject Jesus Christ. If they believe, they'll be saved. If they choose not to believe, then there's punishment that will come to them. And it helps us understand what this idea of world evangelization means. We use this word sometimes. What does it mean? Are we trying to convert everyone in the world? Well, we'd love it if that could happen. 
But our goal is to get the message out there and give every creature, every person, the opportunity with understanding to either receive or reject the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the task of uh, evangelism. And, and, and so our responsibility is to get that message to them, help them to understand, help them to come to that point of decision. At that point, they have to make the decision. That's their uh, responsibility. A few years ago, I read a, a great quote by a missionary by the name of Jake Taube, and he was serving in China at that time. But this is what he said, In the end, Christians believe that only God can save a sinner. Our God, our job, I'm sorry, is clearly to proclaim, not to produce converts. Thus, the metric that we must conserve ourselves with, concern ourselves with is not conversions per proclamation, but proclamations per unbeliever. Worrying about how to increase conversions is above your pay grade. Our job is to maximize proclamation. So what's he saying there? We need to try to preach the gospel to every creature. Whether or not they believe is not something we can control. We want them to believe. We'll plead with them and pray with them. Uh, but, but, but this is the idea of preaching the gospel, getting that message out there. All right. Moving I'm sorry I'm going so quick. I think I might have packed a little more material in here than we're going to have time. Um, any, any remarks or questions um, of what we've covered so far? All right. Fascination with conversion. Yes. And I think that that for a lot of folks, and if we're not careful, even as we think about missionaries and our expectations, um, you you can sometimes view that someone who can talk about conversions is somehow more successful than someone who doesn't have as many examples of conversion, and forget that the conversion was God's hand at work. It's, are they out there? What are they doing to try to proclaim the gospel? Um, is, is what we ought to be praying that God would help them to see and, and add his blessing to. That they'd be actively doing that, encouraging them that way, instead of somehow making one missionary who only had two conversions in the last prayer letter, or none in the last six prayer letters, is somehow inferior to another missionary who's got a bunch. No, we, you know... It, some things are easier to quantify than others, you know. And so, really what we're doing in this, in this lesson as we look in the Great Commission is we're kind of laying out a seed bed because we're going to be touching on almost all of these themes in greater depth as we kind of unpack this. And so that's something we'll be touching on um, as well. You know, what, is, what does this look like sometimes on the ground for missionaries? And I'm excited to to get to that, but, but this is really basic stuff, and sometimes we kind of figure that we, we know the basics, but I'll be honest, as I was able to, to kind of dive in here, you know, the Lord is increasing my understanding too, and challenging me, and I hope that'll be the case for all of us. So let's, let's move on to um, Luke chapter 24, so this is the fourth time that we find the Great Commission in Scripture, let's read it, um, and he said unto them, thus it is written, Thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem, and ye are witnesses of these things. So Jesus said this, this is interesting, on the day of the Emmaus Road experience. So perhaps you remember 
there was two of Jesus' disciples. They were traveling from Jerusalem to the little village of Emmaus. A stranger joined them along the road and began to expound to them about all the prophecies of the Messiah and how, how it had all been fulfilled by Jesus Christ. They invite him to, to eat with them, and as he's blessing the food, they suddenly realize it is Jesus himself. And he's, he disappears. They, they're so excited, they run all the way back to Jerusalem. They go into the room where the apostles and the other disciples are to tell them what happened, and then Jesus appears to them there as well. And he picks right back up, um, talking about how, how this is what needed to happen. This was the fulfillment of prophecy. But the, the phrase that I want us to hone in on is, is that last phrase that says, and ye are witnesses of these things. Okay? So we're talking about personnel for the mission. And that I want us to focus on that phrase. We are witnesses. Okay? We are witnesses. So he tied in everything with the Old Testament. He said this is what needed to happen. He, he talks about the mission of how it needs to be proclaimed in all nations beginning at Jerusalem. But he makes it very personal as he says, ye are witnesses. Um, when I went to Crown College, Dr. Sexton, the president of the school there, the pastor of the church, he used to say this, he said, the noun comes before the verb. Talking about this idea. We are witnesses. So you got to be a witness before you can bear witness, before you can witness. And so these people that were in the room, I mean, they were quite literally witnesses. They had seen Jesus' ministry. They had seen Jesus on the cross. They had seen the risen Christ. They were witnesses. He said, now you're going to go and you're going to tell people what you saw. And certainly none of us uh, saw Jesus on the cross or have seen the risen Christ. But if we're true believers, we're witnesses to what to, to the fact that there's true power, that, that God is real, that Jesus is real, that the Holy Spirit is real. And we too can bear witness if we are witnesses to what Jesus has done um, in our lives. And this is something that differentiates Christianity and the Great Commission from other missionary religions. Because there's other, there's other religions that are missionary, that are trying to propagate their doctrines, trying to proselytize people. Uh, Buddhism used to be very missionary. Islam still is. The Mormons. There's other religions out there that are trying to get out their message. But what's different is we are witnesses. Say, hey, this is real. I'm not just telling you about, here's a religion, do X, Y, and Z, and you can go to heaven if you follow these rules, etc., etc. You can say, look, this is real. This is what Jesus did for me. We are witnesses. Not just believers, but witnesses. Alright? Alright, moving along. This is the last time we find the Great Commission uh, in Scripture. Acts 1.8 But ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all of Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. What have we got here? Parameters for the mission. Okay? Um, Jesus uh, gave this particular iteration of the Great Commission as he's standing on the Mount of Olives outside the walls of Jerusalem just before he ascended back up to heaven. So these are quite literally the last recorded words of Jesus before he went back up to heaven. What is he telling us here? There is no place to stop. Now this passage, in a way, it's prophetic. 
it tells us what's going to happen and what did happen. And so it, it serves as a sort of an outline for the book of Acts. They were witnesses in Jerusalem. They were witnesses in all Judea. They were witnesses in Samaria. They were witnesses in the uttermost part of the earth. That all happened. But it's also a strategy for each generation of Christians in any place to follow. What's that? We started the local, Jerusalem, the place we live at, and then the region, all Judea, neighboring regions like Samaria, to everywhere else, the uttermost part of the world. There's no place to stop. And even in our age of air travel and all these types of things, I want to tell you there are still some very uttermost parts of the world. And when you think you've gotten to the uttermost, you find out there's a place that's a little more uttermost than that. And so there's, there's plenty of places. We'll talk about this later too. But he said there's no place to stop. Go everywhere. All right, just really quickly. Who is responsible for the Great Commission? Okay? We've got these, we've got these, these, these five times that Jesus told them. In a minute, we're going to kind of synthesize them all together and try to get a, a, a statement that just encapsulates everything we find in there. But before we go on, and this is important, okay? Um, it's very clear from Scripture that this was given to the apostles. They were there every time, except for that one time Thomas wasn't there, okay? But they were there, the 11, who, with the exception of Judas, of course. And even the word apostles comes from a word, apostello, means to send out on a mission. And this is the mission they were sent out on. So the very name apostles comes from this. So there's no doubt, nobody disputes this. This is what they were supposed to do. They were to lead the charge of being witnesses and preaching the gospel in all the world. And consequently, some people at different times have argued that this was really only for the apostles. They were the ones who were responsible to do it. They did it. End of story. Is that true? That wasn't a rhetorical question. I don't think it's true either, and I'm going to give you some reasons here. Um, first of all, the early church obviously thought that it was important for people besides just the apostles. Um, and, and something that's worth noting is there were other people there when Jesus gave the Great Commission, not just the apostles. Um, definitely, at least in Luke, maybe in John, maybe Matthew, possibly the others as well. And so I'm going to give you a list of some folks who acted on his commission. Some of them might have been there when Jesus gave it. Uh, some of them most definitely were not. All right, so we've got a few folks here. Stephen in Acts chapter 7. He was a deacon, not an apostle. He preached the gospel. Uh, Philip, in Acts chapter 8, preached in Samaria. And in Acts 21, 8, he's called Philip the Evangelist. Chances are he was telling people about the gospel. All right? Timothy. In 2 Timothy 4, 5, Paul told Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. Timothy wasn't there when the Great Commission was given. He wasn't an apostle, but Paul thought it was important that he be preaching the gospel as well. The church members of the church of Jerusalem in Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 4, they were scattered by persecution. It says they went everywhere preaching the gospel in all of Judea. All right? And Paul, we'll be talking a lot about him later on. Um, he spent a lot of time preaching the gospel. He wasn't there when Jesus gave the original Great Commission, either. 
couple other things that we find right there in the Great Commission, okay? The time factor, all right? Matthew chapter 28, Jesus started by telling, the, telling the, his disciples that he had all power, that his power is going to be with them. And he finishes by saying, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. But in this case, he's not talking about all nations or the uttermost part of the earth. He means the end of the world like, as in, you know, the apocalypse, the end of time. Okay, the word that's used there for the end of the world is the word we get our word eon from. So it's a time word, it's a time period. So he's saying to the end of the world as in end of this age, when, when the world comes to an end. So that leads me to believe that we're responsible to carry this out until the end of the age. Hasn't finished yet, and so it must still be incumbent upon us to fair, carry it out. Another thing, the indwelling of the Holy Ghost. All right, so this was specifically connected to carrying out the Great Commission. Jesus told his disciples not to even go out and try to do it until they got the Holy Ghost. And then when he sent the Holy Spirit, they were empowered to be able to do this. And so in other words, the mission began with the sending of the Holy Spirit and continues until the end of the age. The Holy Spirit is still with us, right? And so it stands to reason that if he was given primarily to empower us to carry out the Great Commission, among other things, of course, then the fact that we still have him stands to figure that God still expects us to be doing that same task. All right, and so from all of these, I think we can safely say that every generation of Christians is responsible to carry out the Great Commission in their time. All right promise we're finishing up here. What I want to do now is kind of pull all these themes out of these verses and put them back together in one summary statement so that we can just kind of in, in, in one statement take it all in um, what the basic idea of the Great Commission is. This is kind of a synthesis um, to put it all together. All right. And so I'm going to just give it to you phrase by phrase, these ideas we find, where we find them, and at the end we'll have this statement, all right? So, Jesus' disciples are sent by his authority. We find that in Matthew and in John, all right? To go. All right, that's from Matthew, Mark, and John, we find that. As witnesses, that's in Luke and Acts. In order to teach and preach the gospel, that's in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. To every people and place. Find that in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Acts. Alright. Starting from the time they received the Holy Ghost, that's in Luke and Acts, until the end of the world. Matthew. Alright? So, here's our statement up here. Okay, so we'll just read it all at one glance here so we can just try to kind of let it all sink in. But you see, we're kind of building it, taking it all apart and building it back together to get ourselves kind of a summary statement of the Great Commission here. What is it that God, that Jesus was telling uh, His disciples to do? Alright? 
So, Jesus' disciples are sent by his authority to go as witnesses in order to teach and preach the gospel to every people and place, starting from the time they receive the Holy Ghost until the end of the world. Sound pretty clear? It's big. <laughs> it's really big, and it's really general. He said, every place, every people, until the end of time. Alright, that's really general. It's a big job. But this great commission is the foundation and the ground of all that we do. This is what the entire New Testament church is built upon. Is this great commission that Jesus gave. And I'm going to say the great commission is the reason for the existence of Christ's church on this earth. Okay, And I'm not talking about a, a weird universal church. I'm just saying the body of Christ... Local churches, believers, we are on this earth for this purpose. That's the reason we're still here, is to fulfill the Great Commission. And so each member of the body of Christ is responsible to take their part in the Great Commission. And so I'm looking forward in the next few weeks to kind of unpack some more of this stuff. I mean, there's so much here. As you can see, I dumped a lot on you tonight. Uh, but we're going to be diving into almost all of these themes a little bit deeper um, as we go through the next few weeks. But I want you to, I, this is an illustration that is not original to me, but I want us to think about the Great Commission and just make an analogy with a boy who's been given a job by his father. All right? uh, let's say his dad told him to clean the garage. All right? Anyone's, anyone's garage look like that? All right, you don't, you don't have to answer that. Yeah, I didn't take this picture. All right, okay. Um, you just cleaned it up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, after, that's after a little touch-up work there. So his dad tells him, hey, I'm going to be going out. While I'm gone, I would like for you to clean the garage. And so, uh, you know, dad leaves, and the boy, he starts working on the garage. Uh, but after a little while, he's looking around. He says, man, you know what? The siding is looking really rough. You know, let me get out the pressure washer and we're going to pressure wash the siding. Alright, so you wash the siding. While he's out there, he takes a look. He's like, you know what? The lawn is looking a little rough. Why don't I go mow the lawn? So he mows the lawn. And, uh, you know, he goes back in to take a drink. He's like, man, this kitchen. You know, something needs to be done with this kitchen. Maybe we could knock something out here, put in an island here. And so he starts remodeling the kitchen. And lo and behold, Dad comes back. Say, hey, how did it go? Oh, well, you know, take a look at the take a look at the siding and, and the lawn and what do you think of the kitchen? But don't look at the garage. Do you think his dad's gonna be pleased? You know, the boy worked hard. He wasn't sitting around sitting around twiddling his thumbs. He did some good things, some some things that had merit in them, but he did not do what his dad told him to do. And so that's, that's the question that we need to ask ourselves and um, individually as a church. Are we doing what the Master said to do? In closing, I want to revisit one of the stories we looked at earlier about famous last words. You remember Captain James Lawrence and his ill-fated battle, uh, sea battle? He was shot. And um, as he was mortally wounded there, he said, don't give up the ship. Five minutes later, the British had captured his ship. However, another naval commander by the name of Oliver Hazard Perry 
was inspired by his words, and he actually had a flag made for the new fleet that he was putting together. And just a few months later in that same year, Oliver Hazard Perry won a great victory over the Royal Navy in Lake Erie. On his flagship, he was flying this flag. This is a replica, but this flag says, don't give up the ship. And since that time, it's gone on to become a rallying cry, especially for the U.S. Navy. Several generations of U.S. sailors have used this as a rallying cry. And that flag is at the U.S. Naval Academy. And this also, this is a replica of it, it's also at the U.S. Naval Academy because they want their new midshipmen who are coming up there to get this spirit. It's a rallying cry. Don't give up the ship. So my hope is that us as Christians, we will take Jesus' last words his great commission to be our rallying cry for our lives individually and as a church, as his disciples, to preach the gospel to every creature to get out the good news about Jesus Christ today. Toward the hope of our high calling, toward the promise we've received. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, please visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We encourage you to share this message with others. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened and God's Word has had an impact on your life as together we strive to show forth the path of life. Press on.